Now, on Book TV's Afterwards, Ben Howe asks whether evangelicals are choosing political power over Christian values. He's interviewed by author and history professor John Fia. Afterwards is a weekly interview program with relevant guest hosts interviewing top nonfiction authors about their latest work. Ben, congratulations on this book. It's, uh, it sounds like it's uh, out there now. And yeah. it's, it's um, uh, again, I think you're making a statement about some things that we really need to think about and hear about, especially about evangelicals and Trump. So, again, congratulations. I appreciate that. Um, let's, let's just try to situate you, if you will. I know we don't like labels and so forth, but sure. I think it's clear from the book that you do write this book as both an evangelical Christian, mm-hmm. self-identified, um, uh, and, a, and a conservative, yes. right? Um, what do those two terms mean to you, or how do you define those two terms in terms of your own story, in terms of the you know how you're using them in the book? Sure. Um, well, first with conservatism. Yeah. I think of conservatism as um, having a libertarian-minded heart mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, federalism, the government being involved in people's lives. Uh, less, 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 less. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm a conservative, though, instead of a libertarian, is because I also feel a lot of kinship with conservative social values, which are often in line with evangelical right. values. Um, sometimes, if I'm really feeling frosty, I might call it conservatarian, mm-hmm. because even though I hold those values, I'm not a big fan of the government being the ones to sure. uh, make them happen. Yeah. And then We'll it, get into that here. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms yeah. of being an evangelical, um, I... I believe the Bible is inerrant, mm-hmm. which I think is an, a prominent feature of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in, you know, um, the Holy Spirit uh, guiding you. I believe in uh, most of the things you'd find in Southern Baptist sure. denominations. Um, and the fact that I was Southern yeah. helps. Did you grow up Southern Baptist? Uh, yeah. We went to Southern Baptist churches uh, that you've probably heard of, like First Baptist Church. and. Sure. Dallas, Texas, and uh, yeah. Thomas Rowe Baptist Church in okay. Lynchburg, Virginia. So you certainly have the, the evangelical pedigree, yes. if you will. Um, you have the conservative background. You've written for conservative outlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you define yourself as a conservative. Um, and that's, that's you know, you make no bones about that in the book. Right. I mean, that's the position you're coming from when you're here to critique or when you're writing to critique Donald Trump. Yes. Um, you start the book with several stories, but one really sort of caught my attention because I think you you mentioned it as a kind of, uh, you know, a sort of window into how you felt about the way evangelicals were flocking to Donald Trump, both in terms of the primaries, but then, of course, in the general election as well. Uh, you tell me the story again, and for those who are watching, tell the story about 1984. Mm-hmm. You are in Dallas at a protest with your That's parents. Right. Um, you know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. Tell me, tell me that. Tell us that story. Well, I'll, I'll it's tell, a great story. And then, and then how it, how it kind of, uh, you know, uh, came back again as the election was going on. Sure. So you know, my father, uh, sometime before I was born, he began reading um, apologetics titan mm-hmm. Norman Geisler, yeah, uh, who passed away recently, right? And um, he decided that he wanted to spend his life um, pursuing the ability to teach apologetics um, and eventually Hebrew and other uh, languages from the Bible. 
Um, so we often were moving along with his, you know, from state to state uh, for church opportunities where he was a youth, well, at first he was a pastor, then he was a youth mm -hmm. pastor, and then to attend Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm. Uh, when we were living in Dallas, uh, right around 1984, Jerry Falwell, very famous uh, evangelical leader. Senior. Senior, Senior right? yes. <laughs> I would still say, even at this point, the more famous Falwell. Right, right. He uh, was leading a protest that my parents brought me to. Uh, there were 7-Elevens that uh, had Playboy magazines that were uh, too close, like kids could get to them. Mm -hmm. And so they were protesting that. So, you know, the memory was somewhere in my head, right. you know, floating around. And it's 2016 election. And I had already known that Jerry Falwell Jr. had endorsed Trump. And I was already seeing the movement in the polls towards yeah. Trump. But it was in June when there was a Christian summit of leaders that Trump uh, spoke to. And that Falwell tweeted a photo of himself, giving a thumbs up with Trump. And right behind him was a Playboy magazine with Trump on it. And, you know, I say this in the book, and I think it bears repeating here. It wasn't like this. I wasn't, oh, Playboy magazine. You know, I, I wasn't... It, it, I know who Trump is. That right, right. wasn't surprising at all. But this is the inheritor of his father's legacy. Jerry Falwell Jr. is yeah. he is the now the uh, leader of Liberty University. Right. Uh, he's an evangelical leader, even if he's not a pastor. He's still an evangelical leader. And to go from protesting Playboy magazine to giving a thumbs up in front of it was just such a striking contrast yeah. that it really started opening my eyes to the idea that something had infected the evangelical movement. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back to your take on the evangelical movement in a second, because you do have a sort of uh, uh, take on it, an analysis of it, even a diagnosis for its yeah. ills. Um, so, so we'll get to that uh, here in a second. But you have this great chapter in the book where you talk about what you call the new good news. Mm -hmm. Now, again, uh, as I think about the term evangelical, right, the core root word is from the Greek right, evangelos, mm -hmm. the good news, right? The good news of the gospel, the good right. news of Jesus Christ for the salvation of souls or whatever, yes. whatever it might be. Um, so, so you're taking that idea, the good news, not in a kind of journalistic way or anything, right. but for those who may not know the evangelical language, right? yeah. uh, this means the good news of the gospel. Or, you know, the, some of you maybe, if you, if you go to your parents' shelf, uh, you might find a good news Bible right. <laughs> that the American, oh, Bible, yeah. American Bible Society produced. But you have a chapter here uh, at the beginning. Usually with of, Jesus, like opening the door. Exactly. <laughs> all the all the um, all the, uh, uh, the the cat the pictures, the stencil pictures, yeah. the pencil <laughs> pictures. Um, so you talk about the new good news. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I think I maybe just just answered the first question for you. But what's what was in your mind? What's the old good news? The old and how, good news. Before we get into what the new sure. good news was. Yeah. The old good news is uh, no matter how you've lived, who you've been what you've done, um, and even in a sense what you will do because you will make mistakes, you will have flaws, right. that your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and so you will get to spend eternity with God. Yeah, yeah. And what you're saying is the evangelical, at least in the book, the evangelical embrace of Trump, evangelicals are now preaching uh, a new... Yeah. No, no, you don't put good news in quotes. No. <laughs> you know, right. a, new, a new good news. Right. And, and you break it down. Um, 
I, I just want to go through some of these and and sure. and, and uh, get your get your um, you know ask you to elaborate a little bit. First of all, part of the new good news is something that uh, I don't think it's original to you. I've seen it before, but this idea of vessel theology. What mm -hmm. is vessel theology? So vessel theology is the well. First of all, there is a real basis for the idea that God uses vessels. I mean, it's throughout the Bible. And you, for those who might not know, what do you mean by a vessel? Like a, a human... Uh, like a vessel would yeah. be somebody who God put in a particular position right, at right. a particular time in order to fulfill his will. Sure. And that person, you know, theoretically and at times in the Bible literally, um, did not necessarily uh, come across as the kind of person you would expect him to use. Right. And this happens over and over in the Bible. Yeah. Um, but where I feel like it has been morphed is while anybody could be this sort of vessel for God's will, there comes an issue when it is people deciding, before this person has even done anything, mm -hmm. that they must be a vessel because it comports with their desires. Yeah. And the reason that's dangerous is because that makes it so anything that that person does is an exhibition of that fact that they're a vessel. Sure. And that's the fast track to basically cult worship of a yeah. human. Yeah. Um, how do you hold somebody accountable that's doing God's will, right. uh, never mind the fact that you're the one who decided what God's will was? So Donald Trump, you argue, is a, is a vessel to for, a lot of people. for many evangelicals. Sure. Um, and again, just so, we, just so we sort of get the larger context here, right? Uh, you know, we can debate the number, but, you know, a large number, say 81% is the word, number you often hear, mm -hmm. voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, and I would tend to agree. I think some of them did see Trump as a kind of divinely appointed person. You know, I, I always wonder, you know, could you have the vessel theology where God is using a particular person like Donald Trump? You know, if, if you believe in the Christian worldview, which I think we both do, you know, has a has a has a vet, you know, has a is using God, God is using Trump as a vessel to maybe punish the church well, right? you know, or teach the church a lesson. It's right? interesting, yeah. you know, and I, I talked a little bit about this in the book too. the 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 thing about a uh, trying to determine not just that someone is a vessel of God's will, but also why. Yeah. Uh, the the problem with that is. Judas could have been considered a vessel. Right, right, sure. I mean, it's not like God didn't know what he was going to do. And in right. fact, Jesus told him what he was going to do before yeah. it even happened. Yeah. Had he not done that, then that would have altered the entire circumstances okay. around the crucifixion. Sure. So it is not the case that a vessel is a value judgment right. in terms of good or evil. The person could be committing evil. Yeah. It is about being in a particular right. position at a particular moment. Given the position that Donald Trump occupies and the power involved, yeah. it would be hard for me to argue that God is not involved. Right. Obviously, he is. Right. But I am not going to try to determine his motives, yeah. much less look past things Trump right. does, because I think that. So the problem is not with the vessel per se. Right. It's with the way in which uh, those on the Christian right or those who supported Donald Trump have kind of responded to this idea of God of Trump being a vessel with such certainty that they know what the plan of God is there's yes. no mystery there, there there's is no, no mystery yeah I think that yeah. it's uh, a lot of times it it really boils down to an easy answer yeah you can always answer the question what about this with yeah. well God's vessel will do what it does sure. you know sure. 
Now, we're on C-SPAN right now, so I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, who have no idea. This sounds completely crazy to them, you know, all this <laughs> stuff that we're talking right. about, right? How, how much, you know, before we get to this next part of the new good news, in your sense, you know, what kind of, how representative are these, are these, uh, are these vessel theologians or maybe some of the other things we're going to talk about? I mean, is, can we say all 81 percent uh, are buying into this? Is it a significant number? Um, you know, those who maybe are unfamiliar with this world mm -hmm. uh, of kind of conservative evangelicalism, I mean, you know, I, there's, you know, is this some kind of, you know, theocratic, uh, <laughs> you know, attempt to take over the country or is it just a few kind of crazies or, well, you, know, or say, you know, help I, me sort that out? I would say um, I feel very confident that among the four different um, rationalizations yeah. that are used that they cover the gamut. That yeah. this is primarily uh, how people yeah. look at it. I base it on living in this world, right. like living in the evangelical world, in the South, uh, being yeah. as involved in politics as I am, yeah. and uh, traveling the country when I was making a film about Trump in 2016, yeah. um, and then also statistics and uh, the way people are answering things. But whether or not among those four do I think Vessel is the yeah. most is the primary one? No, I would argue Lesser Evils is. But, we'll get to that, yeah. But I would say that the danger is that Vessel appears more often among the most vocal leadership yeah. in evangelicalism, yeah. which I think is a big problem in and of itself. Yeah. Related to this idea of Vessel theology, your next sort of significant point of the new good news is this King Cyrus argument. Yes. You know, I think it was one of these, one of these, I call them the court evangelicals, these evangelicals that come to the the kind of king's court and flatter him and right. one of these guys lance wall now was recently on the jim baker show yes that jim baker yeah. right he has a television show now uh pitching a king cyrus coin i don't know if you saw that for 45 dollars, you can buy a coin with king cyrus on it who is why king cyrus what does this have to do with anything in terms <laughs> of the way evangelicals kind of flock to trump because i've heard this right and yeah. i've written about this too they see him as a new king cyrus they do and 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 part of it they feel is fulfilled as a result of the uh embassy yeah. and Benjamin, yeah. uh not netanyahu actually mm -hmm. mentioned king cyrus yeah. uh when he was talking about how thankful they were yeah. for trump moving i don't personally feel like having read it many times over yeah. I don't feel like Netanyahu was calling Trump a new King Cyrus I yeah. think he was simply saying it is uh, it is a, as big of a moment for right. us okay. as it was when yeah. uh, they what's were able the to return. what's the well, metaphor well uh, you know, King Cyrus allowed the Israelis to uh, or the Jewish people to rebuild their temple mm -hmm. to go back into their homeland uh, and more importantly his his doing this was something that had been prophesied so this was God's move, and God had made clear through his prophets that this is what would happen. Yeah, yeah. The comparison with Trump is that since Cyrus was a pagan, right. not, a Jew. not a Jew, doing God's will uh, in line with prophecy and everything else, well, certainly the same could be true of Donald Trump, right? Well, that's what separates the Vessel theologists right. from the Cyrus theologists, yeah, yeah. is that these guys actually say, yes, literal prophecy. Right. The, the uh, you know, Wano and a few others have have referred to it as the Isaiah 40, uh, 44, 45 president yeah, yeah. Uh, because the one of the verses about Cyrus is in Isaiah yeah, 45. Yeah. 
Which is interesting because I don't know if he knows that those verse numbers weren't there exactly. when it was written. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, there were no, chapter, there were no right. chapters in the Hebrew Old Testament. I mean, I right? could go your, in your and renumber it. That, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go in and renumber it and prophesy for right, myself. Right, you know? right. But uh, this is definitely a more fringe yeah. uh, aspect of it. And yet, it's still embraced to a degree. Yeah. I mean, it was talked about in a book called The Faith of Donald J. Trump, which yeah. was written by some... Uh, pretty mainstream that was evangelicals. The CBN, uh, Christian Broadcast Network, yes. uh, David Brody, and, and, and Scott Lamb. Scott Lamb, yeah. That's right. Okay. And they talk about it not in a in a non critical way. They, yeah, they, yeah. they present it as, hey, who right. knows? Right. He could right. be. And uh, according to Wano and others, Trump was fine with it, which doesn't surprise yeah. me. Well, yeah. But uh, then there's a, a guy whose name I can't recall at the moment uh, made a movie. About yeah, it. the Liberty University uh, filmmaker, right. the fireman, wasn't yeah, it? The yeah, fireman yeah, yeah. Who it prophesied? was. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so this vessel theology, Cyrus, King Cyrus, sure. that stuff's kind of out there. It almost yeah. seems fringe, you know. Well, um, vessel less so, only in, to the extent that people define it without knowing that's what they're doing. Right. Right. Sure. They, they'll they they'll answer questions as they did prior to the election. Yeah. With uh, God can use anyone, and right. the issue with saying God can use anyone as an answer to a problem with Trump is that if you're not also saying that that's true about Hillary, you're kind of defining vessel theology, even if that's not what you think you're doing. Sure, sure. The other two parts of the new good news, I think, are, are sort of much more, I see them much more, oh, yeah. much more prevalent, right? So, so one, is, one is the way evangelicals, at least Trump evangelicals, have compartmentalized, mm-hmm. compartmentalization. What yeah. do you mean by that? Well, these last two that we're talking about, they're, they're not only the, they're not just the most common. I'd say they're the most understandable and the most rational, yeah. um, but still abused and prone right. to abuse. And right. compartmentalization is a good example of that. Yeah. Um, I compartmentalize, perhaps, if I'm picking which way the toilet paper roll goes in my bathroom. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to bring religion into this yeah. issue. Yeah. So it's fine to compartmentalize right. at that moment. Uh, what a lot of Christians do, and in a lot of elections, not yeah, with just Donald yeah. Trump, is they will look at what they think is the most urgent issue between politics and religion. And if at the moment the more urgent issue is the politics and whatever religious considerations they had prior yeah. are still there, yeah. they're going to pick this more urgent thing because this doesn't really have to do with this until right, right. they need it to. Uh, I think Jeffrey's uh, Robert Jeffries, First Baptist Church pastor, uh, he showed a good example of how that works when he um, wouldn't endorse Mitt Romney in the primaries, and, and he spent a lot of time saying that that they had to do whatever they could to stop Romney right. on spiritual grounds right. until he was the nominee, and then suddenly it was fine. That's compartmentalization. What do you say to the, what do you say to the, because I, I get asked this a lot too, what do you say to the person who says, you know, and this is classic Robert Jeffress. He's he's on the commentator on Fox News, right? I hear him saying this all the time. Um, the church's responsibility is one thing to preach the gospel and so forth, but uh, the government's job is to kind of protect us. Uh, that's a sense of car- compartmentalizing. Right? And and Donald Trump uh, is protecting us. He's mm-hmm. protecting our borders. He's he's a strong man who's going to you know fight the Muslim threat and. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, it doesn't quite matter. We know he's a sinner. We didn't hire a pastor in chief, right? right. Um, how do you respond to that critique? Well, I, I, using Jeffrey still as the example for a yeah. moment because he's such a great example of this. The first problem is that uh, 
he merges things sort of conveniently at whatever given moment that he needs to. So uh, he'll, he was asked about the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Would you rather have a candidate who represented the values of the Sermon on the Mount? And then he replied, heck no, I'd run from that person as fast right, as I right. could. Which is shocking, right? The idea that yeah. he's saying, if you see somebody who's like Jesus, run, right. is what he was saying. And then he morphs it into talking about what the United States does uh, in how it deals with perhaps another country, like as a government. Mm-hmm. So what he's doing is excusing Trump's behavior, as despite no matter how far away it is from being Christ-like, and then saying that the reason is because the government isn't a person. But we were talking about the man, yeah. you know. Yeah. And from what I have seen of him so far, it seems as though what he's really saying is if you're going to have a government that functions somewhat amorally as it relates to other countries, since it's an entity and not a person, yeah. you need a person who somehow represents those, that same type of amorality, right. which I would think would be an odd thing coming from a pastor's mouth that the best thing we could have is an amoral president. Right. Where do you stand on some of these, you know, you hear there's people who critique Trump, obviously, on the right, people like David French and others, right, for his character, sort of what he's doing to the office, his, his, his um, you know, uh, tweets and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have other people in Capitol Hill, like people like Ben Sass and others who are, who are, Sort of casting these aspersions on Trump for his his character issues, um, but most of them line up pretty closely to Trump in terms of policy. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you parse that out? Well, the first thing um, is that I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the idea or the concept of a transactional relationship mm-hmm. with a president. Um, I think of the way a transaction would work would be you have expectations of the person yeah. to fulfill your objectives and not make it difficult for you to support them, and in return, they get your support. Right. Uh, that's not what happens with Trump, though. Yeah. The, the reason that it's not transactional, even though he does do things that people would like... And is some the, things which you agree with. Oh, certainly. Supreme Court absolutely. nominees. Supreme Court so nominees. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the issue is he's not actually giving anything in return. He's not making it easy for anybody to support him. And in fact, because he's so prone to throwing people under the bus, if they speak ill of him, if he's almost mafia-like in the way he treats mm-hmm. the friends of the family, right. uh, it, it puts people in a position where they either become a critic and therefore an enemy, or they pretend everything he does is great. Yeah. And so a lot of people, in wanting to keep this transactional relationship alive, and I'm talking way beyond evangelicals, just mm-hmm. everybody on the right, uh, what what ends up happening is they're more concerned about getting their policy objectives, so they end up living a lot of times a lie. Yeah. And, you know, knowing as many people as they do that work in this industry, because I've been in this industry for as long as I have, uh, I hate even calling it an industry, um, privately, these they, they have angst about this, yeah. about how difficult he makes it for them. Yeah. And I'm always suggesting to them it doesn't have to be difficult. Right. You know, you can you can say that he shouldn't do this. So this would be an example of this would be, say, uh, you know, Franklin Graham, who's quiet about Trump separating families uh, at the border, mm-hmm. because if he were to speak out strongly against that, he loses the larger, oh, yeah. you know, the larger issue. So he loses his prophetic voice in some ways. In some ways, the church right. suffers as a result as well. And I'm not a psychologist, so I don't want yeah. to get too yeah. deep into this, but I will say that so much of it is frighteningly similar yeah. to how 
uh, narcissists operate. Yeah. Because if you notice, you know, using the example you gave about separating children at the border, um, Russell Moore, who has been a critic of mm-hmm. Trump, he did say something about that. Yeah. And uh, Trump, having gotten criticisms from Russell Moore, who, who was um, the he, he headed the Baptist Convention. Yeah. Uh, he already called, you know, he already called out Russell Moore. He's already said that he's dead to the Republican movement yeah. and to evangelicals. So he's a bad guy. So what does Jerry Falwell Jr. do? He jumps up to snipe at him, just like the, yeah. the son who wants the narcissist's right, dad's attention. Right. It's and, really and, frightening. And Russell Moore almost lost his job over that, too. Right. I mean, so uh, the, the, last, uh, the last issue in your new good news, um, which to me is the most interesting one, um, you know, the new good news is associated with the lesser of two evils. Yes. What, what do you mean by that? Well, this is, to me, uh, the broadest one. Yeah. And one that I would say I've even struggled with. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to struggle with. And I have a lot of empathy for how difficult it can be. Lesser evils essentially means you've got two options. They're the only two options you've got. One is bad. One is worse. If you're going to be rational about it, you choose bad over worse. So be specific. 2016. 2016. Hillary Clinton is pro-choice, will appoint judges you don't like. She will not protect religious liberty. She will raise taxes. She will do all the things that you don't want as a Christian or a conservative. Trump, he brings all of this baggage and all of these problems with him, but he'll do things you like. This is bad, but this is worse. Yeah. And, and how do you, what is your critique of that? Um, you know, because you hear this all the time. Sure. I've heard this all the time, right? Uh, lesser of two evils. I can't vote for Hillary. Um, and then, and then the big, the big thing is right. If you vote for neither, you're throwing your vote away, right? I mean, what? How do you answer that? Well, uh, I, that I critique, start, especially from when evangelicals bring it to you. Well, right? it's very important yeah. that it, that a lot of times it's very important that I am talking to somebody of, of some sort of faith, right? Because I will say that if um, if there was no greater moral truth in our universe, if there was if if truth was just something we all agreed on as opposed to something that um, that really fuels life, mm. which I believe it is. Uh, pragmatically, sure. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, the entire idea of faith is you're answering to something higher than that. Right. And so once I establish that with the person, is there something higher to answer to? Yeah. Um, it starts to become a question of, like, how much do you really trust God if you think that God is limited to the two-party system uh, you know, this that's a small God you're describing. Mm-hmm. He can't fulfill his will on earth yeah. unless you vote for the Republican. Yeah. Uh, I think the lesser evil argument is tempting but dangerous. I think it, uh, it contributes to keeping a system in place that uh, takes accountability out of the system. Uh, and I think it also is an easy way to bring in something like evangelicalism or yeah. any other yeah. faith and then use that as a way to get votes, which seems like about the worst possible way you could use faith. So rather than rather than being captive, and I mean this in a good way here, rather than being captive to sort of evangelical theology, a big God who cares for his people, right? Mm-hmm. Who you trust and you you will you know who 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 has your back, so to speak, is it fair to say that many evangelicals then have have instead replaced that kind of theology with uh, a worldview kind of defined by 
American politics or two-party system or and fear and fear yeah which fear. I, I've written a lot about that yeah and and fear that you know we need a strong man mm-hmm. you know some kind of person like Trump to to uh, to to help us and save us while we right. have someone so much bigger than Trump it's you know a, a God who cares and loves well, us and and, and, and and that's the thing is you could have and I even say this in the book at one point you 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 could have gone into that voting booth and had a completely clean conscience yeah. And you did not believe any of the accusations that have ever been made about Trump, and you yeah. believe he is a redemptive figure. If you believe all of that, I may think you're ignorant right. of some information. I may want to discuss it with you, but I don't think as poorly of your decision. Yeah. You have made a decision that you think is in line with your relationship with God, and I, I'm, yeah. I can live with that. Yeah. What, that's not what I'm hearing, though. Right. When I talk to people about it, especially when I talked to them about it in 2016, the line was, I'm holding my nose for these reasons. Yeah. They actually had a lot of respect for my position at that right, time. Right. Uh, over the years, what has become apparent to me is that they were never holding their shows. Yeah. They like this. Yeah. They like how aggressive he is with the press. Mm-hmm. They like how he fights. They like, up until yesterday or two days ago, they like how he curses in a speech. Yeah. Uh, they, they like that he's real, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I get perfectly why all of that is very tempting. Politics is a blood sport. And if you have felt like your side has constantly been getting bashed in the head while holding on to a higher set of values that your opponent doesn't have to hold themselves to, mm-hmm. revenge probably feels pretty sweet. Yeah. But if you wanted to design a test for Christians, I can't think of a better one than putting you in a position to get revenge yeah. and not take it, right. but they decided to yeah. take it. Let's talk briefly, you mentioned this kind of victimization. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, are are evangelicals are they right to feel victimized in your opinion i mean is this a legitimate feeling that they have because you hear this also right you know you know this kind of trump uh is going to fight for us we've been victimized by the left um you know i get the sense in the book that you're maybe not as much critical of the fact that, yes, they are being victimized, you believe that, yes. but the response to how one's victimized is where you... Yeah, you know, well, the res- how do you respond when you're victimized is where you have a problem. Help me parse that out. A lot of what I think about this is extremely unpopular yeah. on the yeah. right. Um, because while, on the one hand, absolutely, I'm saying um, people have been unfairly maligned, mm-hmm. they have been shouted down... They have been silenced at times. They've been kicked out of entire industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, There have been all of these reasons for people to be upset. But even beyond their response, an interesting thing happened uh, as expectedly when when I came out against Trump. A lot of Democrats and liberals suddenly liked me a lot. Now, I didn't change my views, but they were nice to me. And as a result of being nice to me, I started to get the same heat from the right that maybe they had been getting. And what I discovered was they all do it. And yes, all of those things that people feel victimized on the right, yes. Yeah. Are there versions of that, of what the right does to the left? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the problem is it's, it's fine to believe that this thing that happened to an individual or this particular situation, it was unfair. And it's even fine to feel as if the entire right has been mistreated. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that there are things that the right, culturally speaking, has power over, Mm -hmm. such as Christianity, Mm -hmm. which is, last time I checked, still pretty powerful. Um, Certain industries they have power over, just like the left. And 
The left wields theirs often in ways that I find unjustifiable and just as horrible as the things I'm calling out here. Yeah. But my interest was in talking to the right because that's where my home is. Yeah. I'm really intrigued with the way you describe the kind of people on the left and progressives who have suddenly like you. Right? Yes. Um, maybe I, I was going to ask you, are you worried? But I'm, I, you don't seem like a person that worries too much about this, so I'm not going to use that term. Although, <laughs> but but do you wonder? You know, once once you pull Trump out of the equation, mm -hmm. right? You go back to then just being a kind of conservative evangelical again, and there's no point of connection. Do you see a kind of you know return to uh, you know? Do you lose those friends? Well, <laughs> one of the first things I'll note is that um, for a while that is what was because I would not change yeah. how I felt about certain issues, and at times there would be people who would come after me for it. You know, I thought you were one of the right. good ones. I'm like, yeah. you mean you thought I was a Democrat? Because right. I never said right. I was a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, and that would start happening. But what I started discovering was, I guess you could say, kind of spiritual, which was I had this opportunity to talk to people who had always been my adversary. Mm -hmm. They suddenly had a reason to be nice to me. And it was not, you know, it was a partisan reason. Yeah. It yeah. was a narrative reason. They, sure. they could use me narratively. Right. I wouldn't completely conform to what they wanted from me narratively, mm -hmm. but I didn't get mad. I talked, and I yeah. tried to bridge the gap. Yeah. I wouldn't say I convinced people to be conservative, mm -hmm. but I did get people to be okay. Yeah. With, yeah. With, and so to me, it was so instructive that yeah. you put people in a position to, to not be in front of thousands of people arguing uh, and actually find some common humanity. Right. Everything the Bible says about how to yeah. talk to people works. Yeah. yeah. It just does. Yeah. Let me let me get into this a little bit more because you're you're pretty open in the book about some places in the past where you have kind of not taken the advice you're giving us right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Which is there, by there, the way, a persisting problem. Yeah, there seem well there seems to be a kind of this this book in some places kind of almost reads like a kind of confessional, right? You know. Mm -hmm. I was a jerk, yes. Um, and and here's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, without getting too deep into the weeds, can sure. you talk about this kind of change of heart or this this well, there, you yeah, know absolutely. where you your journey? Yeah. Well, there's first of all, there's there's two reasons that I put it in the book. Yeah, uh, one is because I despise the idea of a moralist. Mm -hmm. um, as you can as you can see by having read the book, I I, I believe we all fall short. You know, nobody's Nobody's in a position to be right. the moral authority, so right. to speak. Uh, but we can't not talk about morality, mm -hmm. or no one could, yeah. because no one's yeah. perfect. Uh, so part of it is just to connect to my audience and say, I get it. Yeah. We all make mistakes. Yeah. The other part uh, went straight to credibility. Yeah. This is a tough topic that people are very sensitive about. Religion is the other subject that you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. Right. I'm talking about both religion and politics. Right. And so I know it's sensitive. And what I didn't want was for evangelicals who read this book to think I was an outsider. Right. I was there. I was in the yeah. Tea Party. I was carrying the signs. I was giving speeches. I was writing at Red State. Mm -hmm. I had every client in conservative politics in my video production company. I went on TV to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I've been a Republican all my life. You know, I, ha I am one of you. I really yeah. am. And then for the readers who were not as connected to that world, I needed to give them an insight into what animates that mentality. Like, for instance, when I wrote about um, 
my first ever uh, post was right after Barack Obama won mm -hmm. the presidency, and I had been so tired of being maligned and called a Nazi and everything else, because people forget yeah. Yeah. that happened while Bush was president. Yeah. That This isn't new to the Trump era. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was so upset about it, and then when I saw a bunch of actors suddenly being willing to talk, suddenly willing to be friends, it kind of enraged me. I was yeah. just like, where have you been for the last eight years? Right. You were so busy calling me a Nazi, now you want to be friends? Uh, because I want, if there's going to be a conversation, if we're going to get to that point, there has to be some understanding of where people came from, yeah. why they got to this point. Yeah. I don't make excuses for what the evangelical right or what the conservative right does on a lot of things these days. I don't make excuses for it. But knowing how they got to that point is important if you ever expect to speak to them yeah. or find common ground. Yeah. Your credentials in that world, both worlds of evangelicalism, conservatism, you know, the points where those two worlds inter, inter, or come together is, is strong. And that right. gives you a much more powerful voice, I think, when you critique these things. Let's go back to, to sort of, again, why evangelicals vote for Trump. Um, you know, the, the common narrative, right, is uh, abortion. Uh, you know, it's usually abortion plus one other thing, depending on the election, right? Stem yeah. cell research or religious liberty or gay marriage, right? right. You know, um, you make the case and you, you, you know, it's not really you, you're, you're elaborating on some, some polling data, right? You make the case that none of those things motivated, or at least primarily motivated right. uh, evangelicals to vote for Trump, but right. rather it was, for lack of a better term, self-interest. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm going to try that? an analogy out that I haven't tried Did I tried get that before. right? Is yeah, that you fair? Did. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to try an analogy out I haven't tried before to, to, yeah. to, to try to make sense of this. Uh, imagine you're with your friends and y'all are going to go out to dinner. And one of the guys that's there has an ex that he's not over and everybody knows he's not over. Mm -hmm. And uh, that ex works at a restaurant. And he, this guy's like, let's go to that restaurant. Yeah. And everybody's like, come on. Yeah. You 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 want to go there to see your ex-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's about this seafood platter. It's so good. I don't care about the ex-girlfriend. It's the seafood platter. That's the reason I want to go. Everybody kind of knows. Okay, well, in politics and in evangelical politics, uh, the girlfriend that he's pretending to not want to see is economic policies and uh, lower taxes and lower regulation and typical Republican stuff that has more to do with an individual's life. Mm -hmm. you know. And the seafood platter... In the analogy is abortion. Yeah. Uh, polling shows that the top concerns for evangelicals, and by the way, for other Republicans as well, but it was more relevant in this instance because abortion was so often cited as the one issue that mattered. Right. But the truth is, it fell below things like immigration, yeah. education, yeah. Um, economic issues, regulation. Um, it. The only things that it beat out were that abortion beat out were treatment of minorities or LGBTQ community, uh, you know. So basically, the the things that would be most relatable mm -hmm. to a Christian who's thinking about their Christianity, treating other people decently, um, arguably immigration policy, uh, and of course abortion and religious liberty, they were all at the bottom of their lists, and that includes when they could write in their answer. My response to that is, I'm not arguing with the data, sure. but historically, you know, I'd have to go back and look at this. I don't know if you have. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I'd, I'd like to compare that poll with 2012, 2008, 2004, you know, where, you know, as, as a historian of the Christian right, it does, again, this is just anecdotally, sure. you know, it does seem like these moral issues were, are, were and are the most important. But, you know, we can, we can if we had more time, well, we could debate that. I, I, will, I, will, say, that, yeah. I will say that um, one of the reasons that I think it would be easier to believe in some of those previous elections yeah. is because they were voting for presidents. Let's say these were all during presidential years. Right. They were voting for Republican presidents who more easily aligned yeah. with what you would picture an right. evangelical sure. to support. Sure. When Trump comes into the picture, it just changes the calculus. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, so what... How do how do we move? How do evangelicals? Again, our time's running out here. How how do evangelicals kind of move? What's their next step? What is the state of evangelicalism in, in terms of relationship to politics? Is is you, know, you hear cries? You know, a lot of evangelicals kind of abandoning the term, abandoning the movement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it has been so co-opted by politics mm -hmm. uh, and GOP politics usually, right? Uh, that it's that it's it has no power to shape. The culture anymore. It ha even the churches are weakening. The gospel yes. is being damaged. Um, what's your? Where do you come down on that? I mean, you still do you still use the term evangelical to I describe do. yourself? Why and and you know what what is the state of this movement that you have adhered to? And I, I identify as an evangelical myself that mm -hmm. I adhere to, right? Uh, but you're the one being interviewed. Right, right. <laughs> so, so I'm on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay. So first, why do I keep? the name evangelical. Um, I love the idea of evangelizing. Mm -hmm. I think that it's important and it should be, it should sound like a good thing. Yeah. When you're talking about evangelizing and you, you know, you can use that word in other contexts, it shouldn't have a negative connotation, but I think it does. Yeah. And that bothers me to the point that I would really like to rescue it. I would mm -hmm. rather not throw this word away. Yeah. Uh, I would rather it continue to be uh, rehabbed. Yeah. Okay. I think part of that happening is going to be not a separation of religion and politics necessarily. I think it would be kind of strange to think that God is the center of the universe and that he's not going to have anything to do right. with your decision in the voting booth. Right. But I think that it should be a more individual uh, decision, less influenced by people specifically in power within the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think also, and this, this one is something I've been giving a lot of thought to, um, I think we've got a megachurch problem in this country. Yeah. Um, you know, there were 12 disciples. I've always thought that's a good number, you know. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, many times, many churches have said that their internal statistics show that the people who are happiest that go to church have a Bible study. Mm -hmm. They have a small group that they go to. They have a life group, whatever you want to call it, uh, where people aren't just listening. They're living it with each other yeah. and holding each other accountable and I think there's far too little of that these days and that's coming from somebody who literally attends a satellite church of a mega church, mega church. okay <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I've I've been sort of wrestling that with that for a while I think yeah. that the sizes of the church could be okay if there was more emphasis put on these smaller groups yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I always think when I when I drive past a mega church on the highway or something you know often and again this I hope 
people don't read too much into this, what I'm about to say, but I often think about Jesus, right, in the Gospels, talking about the narrow road, mm-hmm. right? And, like, everybody's there. And I know there's some right. seeker churches, and you right. want unbelievers to come, and, right. you know, but, but something doesn't, there's a disconnect there. Well, right? I think there's also a bit of a, uh, it's, and I get, I get it. Yeah. I, I do get it where it's like, why do a lot of churches, especially the bigger churches, you know, with the rock and roll beforehand, mm-hmm. and again, I go to a church like that. Yeah. I like the music. Yeah. But I think that you may agree with what I'm about to say, which is that sometimes they feel like giant therapy sessions. Yeah, yeah. And they're very connected to today, which is great, right? You yeah. want people to feel yeah. that yeah, connection. Temporary, right? Right. But yeah. where where is I grew up in a home, I did not get official theological training like my mm-hmm. father. And yet I have a lot of understanding about theology and I have a lot yeah. of understanding about apologetics. Because this was something that he emphasized and put on my heart, and it has helped me. And I feel like churches these days need to think about how to start infusing that back. It was put in the Bible for a reason. They have these passages making these things clear. It's not filler. Uh, So smaller, more personal. I mean, honestly, federalism of the church, (laughs) you know. Do you you think that... um if they if we do kind of move to a smaller more committed group of people that that may help solve some of our political evangelicals political problems or i think that there's you know, got to be another that, aspect of it yeah. which is um it needs to hold its leaders accountable yeah um you know franklin graham has disappointed me uh but jerry falwell jr yeah and robert jeffries and others um, they're not discussing politics from a religious angle. They're yeah. discussing religion from a political yeah. angle. Yeah. Yeah. And given the the size of their influence, um, and as you know, we both work in in, in a world where people you're never I'm never going to meet read things that I've written. Right. And whether or not these guys accept that, that's a big responsibility. Yeah. If you aren't careful with your words. Somebody can take it in completely. They have much more responsibility than they are acting like they have. There's no authority. There's no central authority. Sometimes that could be a bad thing too, right? But there is no one to hold these people. You know, evangelicalism is not a denomination. Right. Right. There are no bishops. There are no. You know, I, I I thought about kind of abandoning the word, right? Evangelical. Right. You know, I'm no longer an evangelical. Where, where do you send the letter, right? To right. resign. You know, how do <laughs> right. you, you know, what, how do you do that? How yeah, do you leave evangelicalism? It gets it gets it gets difficult because you know I went to a church that um, was Presbyterian and and yeah. like you know. That was their denomination. Then they wanted to become non-denominational. Right. Except they disagreed with the way Presbyterian Church was doing things, but still considered themselves Presbyterian. So right, then they right. wanted to call themselves Presbyterian. Well, that's the problem of Protestantism, right? Put the Bible in the hands of the people and you'll have thousands of... Right. You know. Which is why, it, to yeah. me, like the smaller it gets yeah, yeah. Uh, for the individual that goes, right. the better. We have a couple minutes left. And there's so much more in this book I would like to talk to you about. I love this idea of moral... Uh, welfare. Um, uh, you have some great thoughts about the alt right, I think, and the way the alt right has been uh, sort of co-opted in many ways by Trump. I mean, these are all things we could spend a whole other hour talking sure. about. But in the last sort of two minutes here, um, and I'm sure you're getting this question a lot. Sure. 2020, evangelicals. Um, you know, I, I know you're you not a prophet. You know, what 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 do you what's your take? Where where you know? First of all, will they? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious they're going to rally around Trump again. Um, 
There, there's know? one yeah. thing. Yeah, there's one thing I'm. First, let me say there's one thing I'm very interested in seeing, which is they have consistently been putting out 26 percent of the electorate mm -hmm. in the election. But interestingly, the number of people who identify as evangelical has been going down at the same yeah. time, yeah. which uh, I extrapolate to mean they're doubling down on their enthusiasm with less people. Right. Um, doubling down on enthusiasm when it comes to the right these days is mostly injections of fear, just like, mm -hmm. just like injecting it straight into the veins. Yeah. Fear, 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 fear. We've got the immigration issues. We've got the Syrian issues. We've got a lot of angles for fear. Mm -hmm. Um, part of what is going to dictate, in my opinion, what's going to ultimately happen with where the evangelicals go is who the candidate is. Uh, you know, if it's Kamala Harris or Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. I think you'll see the biggest evangelical turnout that you've ever seen. And it's going to have much more uniformity even than 81%. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. it's Biden, I still think the evangelical vote will overwhelmingly go for Trump. Uh, but I don't think it'll be quite as bad. But yeah, yeah. as to the question of simply, will they vote for him? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ben Howe, uh, author of The Immoral Majority. Hey, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for taking some time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great.